Welcome to episode 93 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. As you likely know by now, I'm always on the hunt to perfect my digestion. So it's pretty appropriate that today's episode is supported by Bioptimizers, their company whose mission it is to optimize your digestion. We actually had the founder, Wade Lightheart, on the podcast for episode 84, and that podcast was so popular that we brought him back for a part two in episode 87. In those episodes, we got into the nitty-gritty details of how the digestive process works from beginning to end. We also tackled things like food sensitivities, eating gluten, and so much more. Wade actually started by optimizers in order to address his own digestive issues, and the company now has a line of really amazing supplements. For starters, they've got their Masszymes product. That's a super potent blend of proteolytic and digestive enzymes, so you can take that to really aid your digestion, and you can also take it during your fast to really clean out old proteins in your body. So if you're familiar with autophagy or serapeptase, you'll probably be a fan of Masszymes. They've also got a superstar probiotic called P3OM, and that has been shown to have insane immune-boosting, antiviral, and protein-digesting properties. They've also got a product called Gluten Guardian to help you break down gluten. So if you're trying to avoid gluten but maybe want to eat out, that could be a great product to tackle any gluten that might sneak in with your meal. They've also got products for stomach acid and some more awesome products coming soon. Plus, they have a 365-day money-back guarantee. And if a product doesn't work for you for some reason, they'll not only refund you, they'll actually send you the product that they think will help you. And we've got a special offer just for our listeners. If you go to buyoptimizers.com slash ifpodcast and use the code ifpodcast at checkout, you'll get 20% off your order. 20%. So yep, you've got nothing to lose, and I'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 93 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm good. I have two things. Okay, go ahead. They're completely random. They're not <laughs> they're not very important. But um tell us your two things. Well, it's been raining here in LA, which is strange. Like every day. That is strange. And I finally remembered. Do you have any rain boots? I do have rain boots. You know, I was a teacher and I had bus duty every day. So I calculated one time that I spent over $300. I mean, I can't even imagine how much more than that it actually was on just special gear for bus duty, <laughs> like special coats. I mean, it's probably $500, special coats, special boots. 
I had it all. Gloves. Did you have a bright yellow jacket? (laughs) Not a bright yellow jacket, no. I didn't have a rain jacket. When it was raining, I would wear my rain boots and I would have an umbrella. That's all I could do. But I had like special coats that were only for bus duty. But anyway. (laughs) I hear you. Well, it's raining here now. And it's funny because I have one pair of rain boots, but I never get to wear them because it never rains. And I forget that I have them, but they're beautiful. They like wait to be used. And I finally remembered halfway through this rain spell. You're wearing your rain boots. For like their one day. (laughs) Now, I like mine. I had to buy the kind that are like halfway up your calf instead of all the way up because they like drove my calves crazy. Like I was rattling around in there. So when I tried them on, you know, the shorter ones are the ones that I have to have to use. Yeah. The tall ones, I'm like a no. <laughs> these are these are like halfway up and I used them last yeah. night because oh I realized do you have a retainer? I mean I had one back in the day when I had braces taken off and I was a teenager, but I threw it away a long time ago. Yeah. Well for the third time last night I couldn't find it and I was like, I think I threw it away into the dumpster out in the rain. Oh, did you have to go look for it? I sat at my kitchen table. I looked everywhere and of course I'm a night owl so it was like 2 a.m. <laughs> and I was like, it's in the trash can. I know it's out. I know it is. I know it is. So I had to go out at like 2 a.m. dumpster diving in my rain boots. Did you find I it? Found it. Oh my I God, did. that's hilarious. Way at the bottom oh of my the gosh. trash bin. So I was like crawling in. Oh no. It was miserable. Yeah, I haven't seen my retainer in over 30 years. That's how long it's been since I was a teenager. Well, <laughs> It's really frustrating when you throw it away because it's so small, but those things are so expensive. Yeah, that's true. So, yep, that's my life. Retainers and rain boots. Wow. (laughs) How about you? (sighs) You know, it's just, it's kind of quiet and and low-key around here, and I'm enjoying it. I think 2019 is going to get busier and busier, but right now I'm just enjoying the new year, and it's a little chilly, so I'm staying bundled up, and that's about it. It's all a good thing. It is. I've been little bit of a sneak peek. I won't say what it is, but I've been working with your son Oh, yay. on a project. Actually, listeners might know because they have been saying how I wanted to work with him on something. So that's happening. Fabulous. That is exciting. So stay tuned. It's going to be really exciting. Well, I'm so glad. He's a good boy. Such a he good is. boy. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. <laughs> All right. So before we jump into our questions for today, We would love to let listeners know that this episode is sponsored in part by Juve. Pretty much. (laughs) I love, I love Juve. I've been getting so many listener questions and so much amazing listener feedback. I feel like we're creating a whole little Juve community. I love that. (laughs) And somebody actually emailed me yesterday and was like, which unit should I get? And really, Jen, now I wish, because you know, I got the small one that sits on your desk. Right. Now I really wish I had got the bigger unit. So I think once I move, I'm going to get, I'm going to invest and I'm going to Just get go ahead and get the unit. big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was listening to Ben Greenfield's podcast and he has juves as well. <laughs> he was saying that he has two really big units and he like sandwiches himself between them to make like his own full spectrum juve sauna. Wow, that is cool. And he's somebody that's very reputable. And if he's got two juves, that is a, a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely knows what he's talking about. But basically, if listeners are not familiar, Juve is red light therapy. And red light therapy has been shown to have so many benefits. It changes the way the mitochondria in your cells work. So it literally creates energy in your body on a mitochondrial level. And you can use it for so many things. The skin benefits are amazing. It's good for mood. It's good for energy regulation. 
even things like muscle fatigue and recovery from exercise. So we love, we love our juves. <laughs> and we have a special offer for listeners. If you go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the code ifpodcast at checkout, they will send you a free gift over there at Juve. I actually don't know what the gift is. I think they said they're going to change it up. It'll be a surprise. Yay, <laughs> surprise free gift. Yay for surprises. So definitely check that out. We'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Awesome. All right. So to start things off, we do have some listener feedback. We have quite a bit of listener feedback. Our first one comes from Cindy, and the subject is IF for the chef on a recent podcast. And Cindy says, Hi, ladies. I very much enjoy all your podcasts. Thank you for all your hard work. On a recent episode, you were working to come up with a way for a woman who was a chef to do IF successfully. It got me thinking. I wonder if suggesting another type of fasting protocol might help her because one meal a day may not be feasible if she is tasting all day as she cooks. I worry that it also may not be practical for her not to taste during the early part of the day when her window is closed. She may be prepping a good number of the more labor-intensive menu items at that point. How about this? If she has two days off a week, maybe those could be her fasting days? Then on the feasting days, she can taste at work and enjoy a meal with her husband. Not sure if that plan would sound good to her, but I was trying to think of something that might work. That's the great part about IF. There's most likely a way for everyone to incorporate it. Okay, thanks again. Hope this may be of assistance. Sincerely, Cindy. That was a really good suggestion. I know. I don't think that's for everybody. And I don't know if Cindy is suggesting like 5-2. Yeah, like the complete not even eating on those days, like a complete fast. I think she is. I think she's suggesting 5-2. And would you like to clarify what 5-2 is? Yes. There are a couple of ways to approach 5-2. It all got started years ago with Dr. Michael Mosley documentary where he came up with the idea to restrict calories two days a week and eat normally the other five. So that was the beginnings of 5-2. And he started his plan with 500 calorie days. So two days a week, you would have 500 calories and the other five days you would quote, eat normally, whatever that might look like for you. And that's a plan that worked really well for a lot of people to lose weight. There have been several alternate daily fasting plans, some where you would actually go every other day, literally. Actually, Dr. Mosley's plan, I think, came out of Dr. Krista Veraday's research on the every other day diet, but he adapted it to be two days a week, if I'm remembering my fasting history correctly. Her book is called The Every Other Day Diet, and she talks about having, again, those 500 calorie days, either literally every other day or just choose three, and that's more of a 4-3 plan. So a lot of people do really well on those plans. But once we started to learn more about fasting itself, benefits of fasting, a lot of people realized they actually felt better on those two days or the three days or the every other day, actually not eating at all and having zero calories and doing a full fast. You know, we now talk about what we call clean fasting, but you just, you know, you avoid all those things that might spike insulin. You just absolutely fast. For me, I found that to be easier I did 4-3 for a while back in spring of 2016, and I found that trying to limit myself to 500 calories was actually harder than just fasting completely, because once your body's in that fasted state, it's easier to stay in it. I'm not sure if this would be easy for someone just starting off. A lot of people in the Facebook groups use one of these plans to help get over a hump, maybe 4-3 or alternate daily fasting. If they're stuck in a plateau, they find that this really gets them off that plateau. But, you know, if you've been fasting for a while, doing the full fast would really work well. And then on your eating day, 
The only rule for the eating days, I call them up days in Delay Don't Deny, is that you don't want to overly restrict on the up days. So let's say that you did a 4-3 plan like I did. I fasted on Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I didn't eat at all on Sunday, Tuesday, or Thursday. When I did 5-2, the days I chose were Monday and Thursday. I didn't eat at all on Monday and Thursday. So I knew that my week would have a, a regular rhythm. And then on the next day, after the fasting days, that's what we call an up day, I really didn't make myself stick to a fasting schedule, but I just generally skipped breakfast because I felt better not having breakfast, so I would have two meals on those days, though you could certainly have three if you wanted to. The key is that on those days where you're eating, you don't want to overly restrict and try to do like one meal a day in an hour window because then you're only eating like one meal every other day, and we're not recommending that. So the key for the research on alternate daily fasting is that you want to make sure that you are having a day where you're eating a lot more. So if you wanted to do 5-2 for the chef, that would be two days where you either stuck to 500 calories or you did a full fast. And then the other days you would quote, eat normally. Was that a good, that was a long, long (laughs) explanation, but it's complicated and it confuses a lot of people because they miss the part that the day after the full fast, you don't want to also have a very restrictive day. Like you don't want to be very restrictive. That's important. Yeah. So I thought that was a really good suggestion. And like I said, I can't believe we didn't I know. think of it. I think because like it doesn't appeal to as many people as one meal a day does. So I don't think about it automatically, but that's a great suggestion. So yeah. Some people love it because they love that you only have to do it. Like if you're doing four, three, it's three days a week that you have to think about it. And the other days you just, you know, can live your life how you want to. And it's also really, really good for people who are, like I said, stuck on a plateau. Or if you know that you have insulin resistance, it's actually the plan that Dr. Jason Fung uses with a lot of his patients. He uses an alternate daily fasting approach with no eating and then days with two meals. So it's a legitimate plan. And people who talk about being intimidated by it at first, they're like, I know I probably should, but I'm scared to try it. Especially if they've been doing another intermittent fasting protocol for a while, they realize it's not as intimidating as it sounds like it's going to be. You know, yes, you'll have maybe a wave of hunger at the time you're used to eating in your daily eating window, but just like the hunger during the day, it passes. And then you wake up and it's an up day and you have the freedom and the flexibility. So it's give it a try. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting. We can all help each other. I think so too, because that was a great suggestion. And you're right. I can't believe we didn't think of it. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. We have some more feedback. This is from Brittany from episodes 90 and 91. And I love this. Brittany says, this is the Brittany. Brittany, <laughs> with whose question became two episodes. The Brittany episode. <laughs> the Brittany episode yep. and a half. <laughs> yeah. So Brittany says, thank you so much for taking the time to answer my questions in an entire episode and a half. I just wanted to follow up with you. Yes, Jen, I have read Delay, Don't Deny, and have shared it with many friends who are now Team IF. Woohoo! And that was Brittany saying woohoo, but I'm saying it too. Melanie, I am just starting your book. The reason I chose to wait to read Melanie's book was because I needed to first focus on just doing IF consistently, and now I am ready to start changing the foods I am eating in my window to optimize my health. I've listened to about 20 to 30 minutes so far, and it is wonderful. It's funny because I asked you about over-exercising, And when I wrote the email, I felt like I had to exercise to lose weight. In late November, I got into a terrible car accident and was not able to work out as a result. In the past two weeks, I was approved to do seated yoga. This type of exercise is meant to bring wellness to your body, and I love it. 
I hope as I continue to heal, I can do other types of yoga. And guess what? I have still lost weight with no exercise at all and just fasting. I even hit my goal. Keep up the great work, ladies. I love everything about your podcast and learn something new each time. Much love, Brittany. So Brittany, gosh, you are in our thoughts as you recover from that car accident. And I know listeners are, are going to be interested in hearing that. And we're all rooting for you to, I'm glad that you've recovered enough to have been approved for some exercise. And also congratulations on hitting your goal. I think that's the kind of follow-up feedback we really like to hear. How long ago did Brittany initially send that email that we just got to? She sent it in last fall, so around October. Okay, so it was in October, and then she had the car accident in November. And how much weight was she hoping to lose from that original email? She said that she'd been like over 30 pounds overweight her entire life, and she was trying different things like Whole30 and things like that. But at that point, she still had 15 pounds that she wanted to lose. All right. Well, then, Brittany, I'm really, really happy to hear that you lost those 15 pounds and that you're healing well. And thank you so much for the follow-up. And I'm really intrigued by this seated yoga. Oh, yeah. I hadn't heard of that before. Okay, now I went to a class at the Y. You know, I'm going to the Y and I'm loving Pilates. And I go, you know, at 945 for Pilates. And somebody in my Pilates class suggested that I come to the flexibility class with her after the Pilates class on Friday. So I went to it. It was in the exercise room next to the one that we use for Pilates. So I went in there. They have seated flexibility exercise. So and that's not all that's going on. And it sounds a little weird, but most everybody there was a whole lot older than me. Let me just put it that way. You can probably (laughs) guess that the fact that they had seated exercise, people have, you know, range of motion, mobility issues. So it's great exercise for someone who is older or who's been through a, a physical trauma like Brittany has. But the thing about it is I got a great flexibility workout because you can push yourself to your own level. So, you know, what someone else is doing with a limited range of motion, I was able to really push myself and it felt fabulous. I think I'm going to make that a normal part of my Friday routine because, you know, flexibility is tied to healthy aging. Yeah, I think flexibility is so huge. I think it is too. I think yoga in general is great. And I did want to clarify just really quickly something about my book because she said she'd started reading it. Well, I hope you, I hope you're enjoying it, Brittany. I did want to clarify that the way it's structured, just if listeners are curious, it's what, when, wine. It's completely separate. So it's not like it mandates having to do paleo and IF. I just want to clarify that. So like, because there's a whole section that's what, which is like the paleo section. There's a whole section that's when. For instance, if you're interested in just intermittent fasting, you could just read the when section and it doesn't even barely talk about like paleo at all. Yeah, that's a good point. Something to point out. And then like the wine section. So yeah, because some people will be like, oh, I want to get your book, but I don't drink wine. I'm like, no, that's like not. <laughs> it's like, it's not all all or none. It's very right. much pick and choose your own adventure. Very good point. So all right, we have one more listener feedback. This one comes from Kelsey. And the subject is Ionic Foot Bath. And Kelsey says, hello, this message is for Melanie. As I was listening to your intro of episode 91 talking about your ionic foot bath, I thought of a super simple way to test it. Run the device in your foot basin as you would normally, but don't put your feet in. If gunk still accumulates, you know that the gunk didn't come from your body. Love you guys. After listening to the podcast so long, I would not have guessed this would be the subject of my first email to you. The experiment just came to me as you were discussing it, and I really want to hear the results. Thanks for all you do. So Kelsey, yes, I had already done that. (laughs) When I run the foot bath without my feet in it, 
nothing happens to the water. It's just water. And then I put my feet in it and it magically starts turning super brown, which I know people say that that's, you know, just reacting to the salts in your feet or the minerals or, I mean, I don't really know what's causing it. But like I said, in addition to the the brown color, I mean, like actual physical particles show up. So I don't know. I don't know what's doing what, but I do know that I do this ionic foot bath and it feels really good. And I told you, Jen, that my eyes get really white after. Yeah. So I've been doing it more and more. And the more and more I do it, it's, I did it about two days ago. It was literally shocking. I was like, I should do an eye commercial right now. You know, the commercials with the contacts where like their eyes go from like bloodshot red to white for right. like, eye yes. drops. Yes. I was like, now I know how to do an eye drop commercial. So I will put a link in the show notes to the ionic foot bath that I use. So the word on the street is it's great for detox. And I'm definitely experiencing that. That's what we have, right? We, we try something, we see if it works for us, and then we can use it from then on out based on that, how it makes exactly. us feel. Yeah. All right. Shall we jump into the questions for today? Yes. The first question is from Katie, and the subject is, I think I'm annoying my coworkers. Katie says, I talk about intermittent fasting nonstop. My coworkers have gone through a few stages with me on this. Oh, and I love this, by the way. This is really funny. <laughs> I love I know, Katie. I this. <laughs> Just from this, I love Katie. All right. These are the stages that she's gone through with her coworkers. Stage one, pity. They would apologize for offering me a taste of their new coffee creamers. Stage two, humor. They would make jokes about how much I hate black coffee now. Stage three, interest. They would ask me about intermittent fasting. Stage four, annoyance. This is where we are now. I can't stop talking about IF and they're just listening to me because they can't get away from me. Oops. But hey, it's doing wonders for me. I wouldn't have been able to stick with it if I hadn't stumbled upon your podcast. I've been doing IF for a combined 976 hours over the course of 59 days with an average fasting window of 18 hours per day. So just to clarify, everybody, she did not fast for 976 hours straight. (laughs) That is her cumulative fasting time over those 59 days added together. So she says, I feel really, really, really good about that. I've never stuck with something this long. Seriously. I counted calories for a long time and lost 37 pounds from that, though. Then I began a certain 30-day elimination diet and absolutely lost control after 10 days. So this is a huge accomplishment for me. I've suffered from depression and anxiety for most of my life. I'm 25. I do a lot of negative self-talk. I'm my own worst enemy, and I'm my biggest bully. It's not my appearance or my weight that I bully myself for. It's my ability to do things well. Having IF as one of my strengths now makes everything else a little easier. Because I'm doing so well with IF and very clean fasting, might I add, Thank you for that motivation, Jen. I have a little boost of confidence to help me with other goals, projects, and tasks. Have you encountered others who get more than the physical out of IF? Are there any studies or research supporting this incredible sense of accomplishment? I mean, IF is slowly but surely changing my life. I'm doing my job at work better. I'm becoming a more diligent master's student. I'm having more sex with my boyfriend when I typically have a very low libido. Sorry, TMI, ha. That's also coming from her, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Things are changing, so I'm not even concerned with how much weight I'm losing. I feel better. Thank you, Melanie and Jen. So I just really loved everything that Katie wrote. 
Yeah, I, I love that email, Katie. It was really funny too. I love the stages she talked about at the beginning. But I think, yeah, we definitely, definitely see this a lot with intermittent fasting. And I think there's a lot of reasons to that. Just in general, we know that with intermittent fasting, for example, it really boosts your willpower in things because you're not making these decisions all the time about food and you lose that stress, that anxiety, and that constant decision making that actually fills up your quote willpower bucket that you have during the day, which is actually a thing. (laughs) There are books and studies about it. So by having more willpower in other aspects of your life, you can apply it to other things. And I think it really does just breed accomplishment in other areas. And this also reminded me a lot of the Atomic Habits book that I've talked about before, because it's all about, you know, creating and implementing new habits. And like, just one of the takeaways I took from that is that when you get the motivation going and you become successful in one aspect, especially if it's something that has been difficult for you to tackle, that it can really change your identity around things, which is really, really important for making change in other areas of your life. So I think that's a big shift that occurs with intermittent fasting is you're no longer stressing and worrying about all these food decisions and having that as part of your identity in a way that the dieter mindset, you lose that and you realize that you can accomplish this, this goal, <laughs> this task and this you know, habit involving your food to find something that really works for you. And that frees up more energy and reaffirms your, your confidence and pursuing other areas of your life. So I think we definitely, definitely see this a lot. I'll put links in the show notes to that book, Atomic Habits, and also some relevant studies and such. So what are your thoughts, Jen? Yes, you said everything very, very well. But as far as the question Katie asked, are there any studies or research specifically with fasting and this benefit, I haven't seen any. But anecdotally, we've heard it from so many people, it tends to follow a common theme. People begin doing intermittent fasting because, you know, they come for the the weight loss, perhaps a lot of us do. And then we stick around because it just makes our lives so much better in, in other ways. Like we have so much more productive time, not even just, you know, the willpower aspect of it, but just in general, It frees you because you're not having to think about, you know, that mental energy of preparing the meals, getting the meals, shopping for the meals, having the meals. You don't have to think about that. So then you're freed up to, um, you know, maybe you, you become a minimalist in other areas as well. That happens a lot. People talk about, gosh, I'm cleaning out all of my closets now. Yes, we have more time, but we're also motivated to do that because it's like we realize all that food clutter that filled up our thoughts. Not even just, you know, like I said before, not even just the willpower part of it, but just that it cluttered our day. And now we're just uncluttered in that. And so we apply it to other areas. It really is amazing how your life changes. You're not even expecting it. And then you realize you're a completely different person. Yeah. And there also, I mean, there have been studies on fasting and a sense of well-being. Have there been Mm -hmm. specifically? Yeah, and they've shown like increased sense of well-being and mood and things like that. And well, I, I did know the mood because of the ketones, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that seems like a small thing, but it's really not because once that becomes, you know, that's a very pervasive shift in, I mean, your sense of well-being, you know? And when you're feeling good about things, it's easier to do more and more things, so. You just feel so good and you just, you want to apply it. It just tends to spill over. Whether you try or not, you can't help it. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> We love fasting. (laughs) So much more than about the food. So much more. Y'all, I am so excited. Our podcast is now proudly sponsored by Green Chef. 
You probably know that I've tried all of the meal delivery services, and now that Green Chef allows you to choose your meals from a selection of options, it's my absolute favorite. I love that the ingredients come straight to my door, pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and with much of the prep work already done for me. I usually choose three options from the omnivore plan, but you can also choose from a variety of meal plans, including paleo, you know, that's Melanie's favorite, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, Mediterranean, heart smart, lean and clean, keto, and also gluten-free. The good news is that you can switch your choices around week to week based on which menu looks good to you. One reason I love Green Chef is because they are a USDA certified organic company. This means they have an emphasis on organic, wholesome, and sustainably sourced ingredients. As my food tastes have changed, I find that my body craves fresh and wholesome foods more and more. Green Chef has options that give me the foods I want to eat, seasonally sourced for peak freshness. Another reason I love Green Chef is because if I am only eating one main meal per day, I want to make sure it is absolutely amazing. And Green Chef never disappoints me and my family. I'm still thinking about something we had last week. It was roasted chicken with gremolata served with a potato and artichoke mash with kale sautéed with garlic. I would never have considered making a mash out of potatoes and artichoke hearts, but it was a fantastic combination, and we all loved it. And now for our special offer. To save $50 off of your first box, go to greenchef.us slash ifpodcast. That's $50 off of your first box at greenchef.us slash ifpodcast. You can also get to that page from the Favorite Things tab at www.jenstevens.com. Make sure to go through our link so they know that we sent you. All right, so our next question comes from David, and the subject is carb confusion. And David says, Hi, Jen and Melanie. Love the podcast. My question is about carbs. I started IF about two weeks ago. I've been low-carb bordering on keto for a while now because it was the only thing keeping me from blowing up like a balloon. Even still, I'm about 40 pounds overweight. I love all carbs. My first week on IF, I was excited to add rice, potatoes, and desserts back into my diet. However, the following days, I felt myself feeling far outside of a fat-burning state, at least the state I'm accustomed to when eating low-carb. I know I'm early on in my IF lifestyle, but I'm just trying to figure out how to balance my love of carbs with my body's knowledge that in the past, carbs have been a major cause of my weight gain. I'd love to treat my eating window from around 4 to 9 as a time where I can indulge, but I fear I won't actually lose weight based on my previous struggle with carbs. I also believe I have a carb and sugar addiction, so a small serving of chocolate pudding is not going to happen. (laughs) Then he has a, a winky face. The other thing confusing, the issue, is that right after I eat carbs and sweets, I get a very clear sense of physical satisfaction. I can get this feeling from potatoes, red grapes, bananas, ice cream. I'm not sure if this feeling is just the feeling of getting a rush of sugar, happiness, (laughs) into my bloodstream, or if this is a feeling of my body getting what it actually needs. Anyways, do you recommend just sticking to low carb for now despite my love of carbs if weight loss is an important goal? Or how would you recommend integrating carbs into my new IF lifestyle given my previous struggle with carbs? I know I need to listen to my body, but it tells me one thing at night when I eat the carbs and sugar versus the next day when I feel less able to burn fat. Thanks so much for any advice. All right, so what is your advice for David? There's so much in here. I hope I don't forget any of the things I want to talk about because there's so many things, so many directions we can go here. First of all, I want to say, 
David just started two weeks ago at the time that he sent this email. So he's been low-carb keto for a while. So it is going to feel really different to add carbs back just because your body is like not used to having them. So be aware of that, that it it is going to feel a little different. Now, for anybody who's read my second book, Feast Without Fear, in this book, I talk about why our bodies are different when it comes to what foods work well for us. There really is not a one-size-fits-all way to eat that's going to make everyone feel best. Melanie and I have talked about this before. We've talked about our DNA analysis and how we've used that to help us figure things out about ourselves. I actually just recently, let's see, about just a couple of weeks ago, the end, yeah, the end of the end of December, I took my raw data and someone in my group had run her raw data through a certain company that I hadn't hadn't done. So I uploaded my raw data to the company. They were having an end of the year special. And I got an analysis using my raw data from 23andMe that analyzed it back in, I guess it was 2017. I had been kind of digging into my raw data myself using, I think, Prometheus. Is that how you say it, Melanie? I never know how to say it. I say Prometheus, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Okay, I'm not really sure. But the website that I used this time, and there's lots of them out there, but the one that I used this time gave me a full set of reports based on my raw data. And for me, you know, it like it analyzes so many things like, for example, carbohydrate intake and weight gain. I'm reading this right off my report. And according to this report, it says a genetic tendency for increased weight gain upon a higher carb intake. And there's three different levels you can be. You can be low, less likely to gain weight on high carb, or you can be moderate where you're likely to gain weight on high carb or high. You're highly likely to gain weight on high carb. Well, just like I already knew from exploring my raw data before, I scored in the low, the less likely to gain weight on high carb. I already knew that based anecdotally on the way that I eat and the foods that work well for me and the fact that I did not lose weight when I did a low-carb eating plan at all. I actually felt awful. But based on my DNA, there's some evidence that I do better when I have a lot of carbs. So I would be so interested to see, I mean, of course, we don't know from David, But if David has the hunch that he performs better and feels better on low carb, I bet he probably does. So that's just something to keep in mind. Before you move on, can I comment to that? Yeah. Have we talked before on the podcast about how it was really interesting because sort of recently researchers did a study to see if that genetic tendency actually matched up to real life as far as likelihood of losing weight or not. So they did one study, and I don't know how long ago the original one was. I'll have to dig it up and find it. But they did one study and they found that, yes, your genetic profile aligned with what eating habit would work better for you. But then they did a follow-up study. There was no correlation. It didn't matter what people's genetic tendencies were. If they strictly followed either low-carb or low-fat, it worked either way, regardless of their genetic tendencies. Well, I will say that that did not come true for me. There were many, many times in my life where I tried to follow low carb and I followed it by the letter because when I do something, I 100% do it. And it never resulted in weight loss for me ever, ever. Any of the times I tried it and that is precisely what my genetic profile says. But I did lose weight following low carb eating when I did that and I followed that. So I just know for me. I I wasn't trying to say. My point was I find it really actually motivating because like I said, they found both. So they found that A, it did match up and they found that B, it didn't match up. 
I think what we can take away from that as helpful in our daily life is if basically it can work for you either way. So if you feel like if you do the genetic testing and you feel like that's really in line with you, totally embrace that and go with that. And the studies have shown that works. If on the other hand, you get your genetic testing and it says that you'd be better on a different diet that you don't feel is right for you, that's totally fine because studies have shown that as well. It's a win-win situation. I think basically it's about environment and genetics, but it's really encouraging that we're not defined by our genetics, but we can use them in our power. That was basically my my point. Well, I, I just know for me, it absolutely confirmed what, like if I had written down everything I know about what foods work well for me, well, actually that's not true because I did discover that apparently mono and polyunsaturated fats are not the best for me. You know, like olive oil, you know, everybody's like, add more olive oil. And I'd been trying oh. to add more olive oil. And turns out the report said I probably should not do that, but I'd be better on saturated fats than the unsaturated. That was a surprise. But it is totally, it did confirm overall my own diet history. So I thought that was very interesting. And according to this company, my preferred macronutrient ratio would be 55% carbs, 30% protein, and 15% fat, which I thought was very interesting. Now, I do not track my macros, and I'm sure I have way more fat than 15%. But if I ever did try to lose weight again, I mean, I don't need to lose weight, but I would really think about trying this composition just to see. Yeah, that is really, that's a good point. It was very interesting. It could have been something that they were saying in the follow-up study was that regardless of people's genetic tendencies, that it might just be a matter of even if you don't have a genetic tendency towards a certain approach, I know, I know this is in direct opposite to what you just said, because we know that you, you stuck to it and it didn't work for you. But I guess for many people, if they're like very strict, it can still work. But I mean, like we always say, it's really about finding what works for you. People who have read my book and know that I did, you know, some very wacky things like the five bite diet and all that. I'm going to follow something to the letter. So when I was like doing low carb and it was like stick to 20 grams or less, I'm like, all right, how much less can you go? That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and I was like, really, I mean, I wasn't cheating or whatever. I did it. And it just, I didn't feel good and I didn't lose weight. And I did it for the entire summer of 2014. So anyway, back to David. David, you may do better with, with low carb eating. That's just something to keep in mind. But I think it's too early to know necessarily. Experiment with, with different carbs. Maybe, you know, go a little slower with what you add back in instead of adding back all the carbs. Try one thing at a time and just see how that makes you feel. Like I wouldn't start right with sugar. That would be one of the last things I would try. I would start with whole food carbs, real food carbs, see how those go. And I, I did see one thing that was interesting. David said that he got a very clear sense of physical satisfaction after eating carbs. I read a really cool study about carbs that I thought was fascinating. They had two groups of people. One group had carbs only at dinner, and the other group had carbs all day long. So they tried to match them for the amount of, of calories that they were eating. But one group had the carbs all at night. They had the same amount, but it was all at night. And the other spread it out over the course of the day. And the people who had all the carbs for the day at night had greater weight loss. They had better results with abdominal circumference. They lost more fat as compared to the control group that ate carbs all day long. And of course, that reminded me of the carbohydrate addicts diet that worked for so many people. I think it was maybe the late 90s when that diet was, was um, it was on the Oprah show. And I remember seeing her talk about it then. But the researchers 
found that there were increased levels of leptin with the people who had their carbs at night. And leptin is the satiety hormone that tells us when we've had enough. So the carbs at night group had higher levels of leptin for the next day as well, I think. So that's just something interesting to keep in mind. You know, if we're doing intermittent fasting and we're eating our meal at night, we're automatically eating all of our carbs at night. So keep in mind that that might help with satiety for some people because it increases your levels of leptin. Yeah. And then I actually was reading a study yesterday. It was comparing low fat to low carb diets. And it was finding that both were equally effective, but the low fat diet, so the ones with more carbs, they had a better sense of mood <laughs> and well-being overall. I think it really does come down to the individual and how many carbs you personally need to right. have proper hormone regulation. Because I think a lot of people do really well on like keto or really low carb and they're fine without their carbs like ever. Yeah, <laughs> I believe then, that too. But then there are a lot of people that, no, like their mood plummets, their mm -hmm. hormones tank, they need the carbs. And I think keto is amazing. And it's, I'm, it's funny because it's becoming so popular now. It's like everywhere. And I'm, and I'm just like, I mean, we've known about this for like ever, you know? Yeah, it's true. It works really well for a lot of people, but I, I think it also doesn't work well for a lot of people and they do need more carbs. So yeah, some of my last thoughts about it. My first thought was as well that he started, you know, about two weeks ago. So I was going to say maybe give intermittent fasting a little bit longer before reintroducing the carbs because it sort of sounds like David, you know, was doing a low carb, you know, he was doing like the low carb keto. And I feel like he was like, okay, intermittent fasting, add in the carbs. Like, so that's like two big changes at once rather than trying just adding carbs or just intermittent fasting and writing that out and then trying the carbs. That's something that you could try is going a little bit longer with intermittent fasting and then bringing back in the carbs and see how that goes for you. I want to draw attention to the types of carbs that you're eating because I think that can also be huge. It might be a matter of finding the right types of carbs because some people do really well on like starches and not on, you know, monosaccharides like fruits. Whereas other people do more better with like fruits, but not starches. Like for me personally, I do really well with fruits, but if I have starches, I get like brain fog and fatigue. And I definitely, I get that feeling. I know what you're talking about, David, where you just feel like you're not in fat burning mode anymore. Whereas ironically enough, when I have like fruit in my window, I do feel like I'm in the fat burning state the next day. And that's just me. Everybody has to find what works for them. But so maybe David, instead of trying potatoes and grapes and bananas and ice cream, right? you try a certain type. So from that list, for example, like potatoes are starchy. Bananas are actually one of the few like really starchy fruits. Bananas, potatoes, that would be like a type of carb. And then red grapes, that would be if you want to try the fruit route, ice cream. <laughs> if it was working for you and you weren't having the negative problems, I would say totally go with the ice cream, you know, do you. But I would probably start with more simple whole foods forms of carbs and experiment and find what works for you and then bring in something like ice cream because ice cream is basically like the ultimate in it's not just a carb. It's high sugar and high fat at the same time. It's very growth promoting, stimulating, hormone affecting, and in general, you know, weight promoting food. So I don't think it's a good testing carb, if that makes sense. I don't think it's a good way to test out carbs. Did you ever watch that video, What's the Best Diet for Humans? I did not. I have it linked in Feast Without Fear. It's really a fascinating video 
We can put that in the show notes. It's based on the research of Aaron Segal. He's written a book about it. It's come out since Feast Without Fear, but I studied his research for Feast Without Fear, and his video is so interesting. It's I think it's a TED Talk, and we'll put that in the show notes. But basically, we have a personalized glycemic response. So as like ice cream is one of the foods that they tested. That, that's what really stuck to my mind here. And some people had a huge blood sugar response to ice cream, whereas other people did not. So like they made personalized lists of foods that were, quote, good versus, quote, bad for people. And it was like completely the opposite. So we've talked about this before. Yeah, like bananas would kill like some people. <laughs> right. And then like potatoes were great for others. And like a cookie yep. did one thing. There was one food that pretty much across the board was, I don't remember what it was. But this this video is fabulous. We'll put it in there and I highly recommend it because you watch it and you're like, what? You know, because we've all been led to believe that the glycemic index is one size fits all and it's universal, but they found that no. And their hypothesis is that it's based on, of course, a mix of factors, your genetic factors, and also your gut microbiome. All of those things determine how your body responds to the foods that you eat. So it's it's just really, really interesting. But ever since I've, I've read and learned all of this, and when I write Feast Without Fear, I 100% was convinced that there is no one best way for every single person. Like some somebody today said, well, you can't lose weight eating pasta. I'm like, well, well I did. I mean, you know, <laughs> maybe the person writing that can't. But pasta was another one of those things. Some people had a much more marked, ins- or not insulin, glycemic response to pasta than other people. And in addition to that, different people, the same person at different times in your life, certain foods. True. I want to draw attention to that because David was talking about all of this fear because of what's worked for him in the past or what hasn't worked. I think that's a huge, huge component here because honestly, it's so easy to think, oh, this worked before, so clearly it's going to work forever. And I will just say, speaking for me personally, and side note, I just wanted to say the reason I always talk about like what works for me is because I feel like it makes it more relatable. So you know that I know where you're coming from. I'm not trying to just talk about myself the whole time, but Like I know for me, like lower carb worked really, really well for a long time. And I was convinced if I added in carbs that I would gain weight. And then ironically, I went higher carb, lower fat, and I actually lost more weight from that, which was really interesting. So I think it just goes to show that we don't know what's going to happen until we try it. So there's really no point in like, I mean, it's hard because obviously we remember things and we look for patterns and our brains remember what did or did not work and thinks that that will happen again. But if you can let that go and see it as an experiment in a new day, you can evaluate and you can change and you can go from there. And even for me, like certain foods, especially dealing with some other health related issues and then having, I got put on a really, really intense round of IV antibiotics that did a lot to my gut microbiome. And I found that certain foods and food compositions that worked before didn't work anymore. So even within an individual person, things can change. So David, I encourage you to try new things. It's a new day. You can see what happens. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. You can try something else. So yeah, I think that's great. I agree. You just have to experiment and see. And again, you're the expert on your body and what feels good. Exactly. We have a question now from Janelle. And the subject is coffee substitutes. And Janelle says, so I've just been introduced to a drink called Creo Brew. It is made just like coffee, but is 100% ground cocoa beans. 
It has the same calorie info as coffee. I'm wondering if this is something that could be okay on the clean fast. So what say you, Melanie? So I looked up this product and it is, it's like coffee, but it's made from cocoa beans. I actually have had it. Oh, you have? Yep. It's delicious. Yeah, they, I mean, I mean, they did a really good job on the website selling it. It's like, oh, it's delicious. You know, like wake up to you know, like this cup of chocolate. Like, yeah, like the smells of chocolate fill your kitchen. And I was like, oh, it absolutely is delicious. Which is the clue for whether or not you should have it on the fast. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> See, well, I think this is going to create a really good debate about it, or you know, analyzing the the thoughts and the the idea behind it. Does it taste sweet at all? Well, it's it's tastes like like chocolate. It's got that chocolateness to it, and so um, it's not like you know coffee and plain tea have a bitterness to them. Mm. And this this may have bitter undertones, but you don't miss the chocolate. So the whole point of things we want to avoid during the fast are things that are going to stimulate our bodies to think that we're having food. And for most of us, chocolate is associated with calories and food. Very, very much so. So my rule of thumb is if something is delicious, I wouldn't have it during the fast. Or, you know, we don't want it to be, you know, like a dessert extravaganza. Save that for your eating window. I would absolutely 100% not recommend having a product that tastes like chocolate and makes your brain think you're having chocolate in your fast. You know, perhaps if you'd never had chocolate before and your brain had never associated chocolate with sweetness and calories... But we all have. We all have had chocolate. Our brains know what chocolate is. Ultimately, that was the same conclusion I reached. But it was funny, like the the mental process I went through in reaching that conclusion, because my first thought was, oh, yeah, no, that's a no. But then I looked it up and I was like, well, technically, it's similar to coffee in that it's, you know, this beverage made from ground beans. Right. It just happened to be cocoa beans instead of coffee beans. I was like, okay. And then I was reading, you know, what was in it, and it was talking about how it had... Well, they, were, they were emphasizing the not-caffeinated aspect, even though I thought chocolate has caffeine in it, so I was a little bit confused about that. But they were talking about other compounds in it that were, you know, health-promoting or whatever. And I was like, well, so it's a beverage without calories made from beans, like the way coffee is a beverage without calories made from beans. I was like, well, this is getting a little bit tricky. Yeah. <laughs> but then what I did come back to was exactly what you just said, Jen, drinking it, especially like I said, reading everything they were talking about with the the chocolate smell. I think that is really huge because if we are associating it with food, if we are associating it with chocolate, regardless of what it's doing, that is, you know, most likely stimulating appetite type things and stuff like that. I mean, if there was a person that could drink this and they didn't have any like associations with chocolate and it didn't make them hungry, what would you say in that situation? Well, I just am, you know... My thought is, why risk it? And I just always, you know, when in doubt, leave it out kind of a thing. So, you know, if if you think it's a delicious beverage and you'd like to have it, you can have it in your eating window and just have it then. We're not telling you never have it if you think it's fabulous. But, you know, just really, someone today asked me in the Facebook group, and and we get this a lot. She was asking about a certain kind of tea. I can't remember what kind, but um, we were like, no, that's probably not one that you want to have during fasting. And then she said, well, what are some delicious teas that I can have? And I'm like, okay, well, we'll get the word delicious out of it because that is not what we're looking for during the fast. The fast should be the opposite of delicious. And I mean, yes, we enjoy our coffee. People enjoy their tea. But, you know, when, when I think of a delicious tea, I think of like the, the hot apple cinnamon flavored tea that I would drink when, you know, before I understood about, about fasting clean. And it was like I was having like a treat 
you know, or I, I would buy the ones that were like raspberry chocolate flavored tea. And I really did. These are the ones I bought. They were delicious. You know, I drank a lot of, you know, raspberry pomegranate type flavored teas. And they were all definitely delicious. So when I switched over to the clean fast and just had, you know, plain coffee, you know, now I, I like the plain coffee, but I wouldn't be like, man, this coffee is just so delicious. I, does that make sense? Am I explaining it well? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I mean, of course, just to play devil's advocate, somebody would say, well, what about the person that thinks, you know, straight up black coffee is delicious, <laughs> you know? But I do, I do think there is something to be said for you talked about the bitter aspects. And we yeah. do know that we do know that the bitter taste can regulate appetite. You know, it's not going to encourage hunger. It's most likely going to reduce hunger. And then on top of that, especially like green teas and coffee, the caffeine aspect is also going to be mitigating hunger as well. So those type of beverages, like especially the caffeinated teas, the coffee, they have a lot going for them that slay appetite and actually encourage fat burning. So green tea's got, you know, the EGCG, it's got the caffeine, coffee's got the caffeine. Whereas these other drinks and like this cocoa coffee, it doesn't have any of that going for it. Yeah. So on top of that, it's got the really delicious factor. I just wouldn't risk it because, you know, you're working so hard to fast and you're trying to get the benefits of the fast. So you're like, well, I don't know, is this going to be fine or is it not? Well, how much do you really want to risk it over some delicious, you know, cocoa beverage? Also, if you've been doing intermittent fasting for a long time and, you're, and you've been doing clean fasting with coffee, perhaps, and you're really confident and everything, I think it's okay. You could experiment. You know, I just wouldn't, as a newbie, I definitely wouldn't. No, and you'll, you'll know. When you try something and it and it does interrupt your fast, you'll know because it's very apparent. So yeah, I thought that was a good little question. It, it's good. It's funny because we get so many questions. Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? And a lot of times it's just black and white, like no, no, no. But this one just made me think. I was like, hmm, got to think about this one. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. So this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few announcements for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions to the podcast, there are two ways you can do that. You can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. If you want to listen to our podcast, lots of ways you can do that. We are a Himalaya Network partnered show, which we absolutely, we love Himalaya. (laughs) It's been really wonderful. And I've started to get, I'm really excited. I'm starting to get feedback from listeners who have downloaded the app. Jen, have you had any feedback? Not specifically, no. So I'm glad that you have. Yay! In my Paleo IF group. So basically, because we were already, for listening to our podcast, we were already available on iTunes and our website and Podbean and Spotify. But we recently joined up with Himalaya and Himalaya is an app for both iPhone and Android. (laughs) Always have to point that out. And it's really a wonderful app. It has access to all the podcasts that you would have access to in general. So like we were already on there. We just weren't, you know, partnered with them officially. But it's a wonderful app because you get all of your podcasts in one place. And you can do things like make playlists. You can have your feed going. Like one of the tabs, it shows you all the new episodes from the podcasts that you're following. You can leave comments. It's a really nice app. And this is coming from me who has been using podcast apps for a long time. So I definitely know what works and what doesn't work. And they did recently launch and they're really open to suggestions and making changes. And so I've been actually, it's nice because we have a direct contact there, obviously. 
So I've been making suggestions as well about things that I think would work better and what I do like, and they're really working with it to make it really user-friendly, and I'm really excited. So definitely get the Himalaya app and follow us on there. And sometime soon, maybe when this comes out, you'll be able to actually listen to us 24 hours in advance Yay! if you have that app. And definitely, like I said, follow us. Jen and I are making that a personal goal to get the most followers. (laughs) Yay. I love it. Me too. And you can also follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. So yes, yes. Jen, any final thoughts from you today? I don't think so. I think it was a great episode as usual. And I really enjoyed it. Me too. Guess I will see you next week. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.